Well, good morning. It's great to be with you. It's great to be back. Uh, Jane and I had a great time away with our family. And um, Jack, thank you for stepping in and, and preaching. Appreciate that. It's always good to know that we've got capable people to uh, deliver the Word of God. And I, I have to say, as we begin, Scott already referred to our Heritage Christmas these last two nights, both Friday and Saturday evening. Uh, if you've never been, this place is just totally, completely, all the chairs are gone and, and tables are set up, decorated nicely, and, and we have a great time. And Piercing Word, as some of you may remember, was here on Palm Sunday and gave the passion uh, of Christ at that point, and we had them here these two nights for Heritage Christmas, and they gave the gospel story, the story of Christmas through the ages, all the way back starting uh, in, with the sin in the garden of Adam and Eve and the promise of a Messiah at that point. It was a great evening. But that just doesn't happen. And we had all kinds of our people involved. And if you were involved in Heritage Christmas anyway and helping and serving and whatever that may, would you just stand? Because I, I, I want, we want your, our people to acknowledge. Come on, don't be bashful. All right, thank you very much. Dawn Jacobs and her team, she put this together and a lot of people were involved and uh, a whole lot more even than you saw here but as greeters and uh, as servers and set up, tear down. I mean, this, imagine all set up last night and we were done at about 8.15-ish or so and a whole team of people to put all the tables and chairs back where they belong and get everything ready for this morning. And it's just a really great all-church effort. And uh, thank you for those of you who are involved and uh, the cake was amazing, and the time together around the tables was just a great thing. And of course, Piercing Word did a phenomenal job um, in sharing with us. Um, we have a lot going on. We've got uh, changes that are being made. Uh, Paul and Diane will be moving on two more Sundays. They won't be with us. And um, we had in the middle of this another change that we wanted to, some of you may be aware, but Michelle Hamaker, who's been our longtime administrative assistant, is, um, I won't use the word retiring, but stepping away and uh, uh, going to begin to do other things as well as caring for her folks. But uh, she's been with us a while now, and as we work through that process, of trying to, we're trying to get somebody to be here on Fridays. Michelle is here Wednesday and Thursdays. And uh, so she let us know that ahead of time. She'll be with us through the end of the year. But uh, to fill that gap, both Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, uh, we took some applications and uh, we've hired Sylvia Chabala. And uh, she will be starting first of the year. Michelle's been training her. And uh, so that will be a change that will occur after the first of the year. And so you'll be hearing uh, or seeing that as you're in here during the week uh, in the office. And we're, we're grateful for that. We've also uh, been working at, we've got, with Paul and Diane leaving, there's a number of holes to fill. Um, and so one of those, of course, is our Sunday morning worship and other things. And so as we've been working through that process with our 
personnel team and finance team, and uh, we have uh, hired Asa uh, Bartos to step in, and Paul's continued to work with him on that. It's just a part-time thing. We needed to get that obviously covered ASAP because when Paul's gone, we still have Sunday, right? So uh, uh, you can be praying, and Ace has been part of our music ministry and, and even uh, preparing for missions, so you've heard that. We will be hearing more about that in the days to come. So uh, we're excited that God has provided for that significant need. So it's Christmas. Wow. And uh, that's uh, our theme this year. You say, wow, that's original. Uh, it's Christmas. Well, you know, sometimes you can go overboard because, you know, it's like you're sitting here and you may be, uh, as we begin to open the Word of God, saying, wait a minute, I heard that last year at Christmas time, and the year before, and the year before, and that's because the Christmas story is the same, right? We've got the Word of God that tells us all about that, and it doesn't change. Praise God. It's going to be the same next year and the Christmas after that as long as we continue to to live here on earth before Jesus comes again. And so let me be the first to say, if nobody else has, at least one of the first to say, Merry Christmas to you. Now that it's December, we kind of, I know some people start listening to Christmas music in October and and, uh, that's okay, whatever you want to do. But here we are, December, we've had Heritage Christmas, we're decorated and ready to go and uh, we're going to move through uh, our series on Sunday mornings. Uh, And so let me just say Merry Christmas, and I hope you will enjoy the Christmas season for all kinds of reasons, but certainly as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And our culture tells us that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, right? That's what we probably hear more often, and uh, we hear about kids jingle-belling, and it's the happiest season of all, right? Family, friends, parties, uh, caroling in the snow. There's a, a lot of mistletoeing. I have no idea what that is, but that's what the song says, right? I know what mistletoe is, but I don't know what the ing on the end of that means. Uh, who knows? But we're told hearts are glowing, and of course, you can't forget the chestnuts roasting on the open fire, right, with Jack Frost nipping at your nose and. And then we're told there will be the kids with eyes all aglow will find it hard to sleep at night. And uh, lots of toys and goodies, Santa with his reindeer and sleigh and Christmas trees and lights and happy greetings. And speaking of greeting cards, I, I came across in my study this week, was reading a Christianity Today, their December issue. And, and they, they talked about this. It was interesting. They made the, the statement that, um, and according to an industry survey, Americans send about $1.6 billion. You heard it. $1.6 billion Christmas cards a year. Whew. That's a lot of Christmas cards. That's a lot of money, Right? One point is, and we always hear about the, you know, Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays or Seasons Greetings or whatever it is. They also discovered that 53% of those cards, the preferred greeting is Merry Christmas. 
So over half the people that send Christmas cards actually have them say, Merry Christmas, you've got the happy holidays, uh, seasons, greetings, and whatever their message is. But, but I thought that was interesting. Is, but that's how we view Christmas in our culture. And, and, and I just had the cards. Uh, my birthday, some of you know, is like three days after Christmas. And so uh, sometimes I get these combination birthday Christmas cards. And so you got to see, this is my all-time favorite that I received. Once upon a time, a very special person was born who was destined to change the world. Wow. And calm down, it's not you, it's Jesus. <laughs> Boy, talk about bursting a bubble, huh? You know, I think he'd want you to have a happy birthday and a Merry Christmas too, though. But yeah, so there you go. It is. Uh, that is. I found, I got that card a few years ago and I saved it and, and I pulled it out the other and I said, Michelle, you got you to gotta get this on a PowerPoint for me because it just fits the most wonderful time of the year, right? But is this really what Christmas is all about? All those things that we talked about. That's a good question. It's a question that we need to think about and, and answer. And when you think of Christmas as a follower of Jesus, what first comes to mind? What first comes to mind as a follower of Jesus when you think about Christmas? Now, maybe it's Joseph and Mary on their way from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Maybe it's the shepherds in their fields keeping watch over their flocks at night. Maybe it's the angels who appeared to Joseph. We're going to look at that today. Or Mary. Or to the shepherds out in the fields. Maybe it's the manger scene with the shepherds and the miscellaneous barnyard animals, right? Or maybe it's the three wise men. I hope not. But uh, they were a little later. Uh, you do know they were not at the manger scene, right? Yeah, okay. Well, anyway, so maybe those thoughts come to mind. Is, but maybe then, of course, it's presents or family and friends, the Christmas tree, decorations, shopping, Santa Claus, Christmas cards. Maybe you're dreaming of a white Christmas. I don't know what that may be. Maybe you're already not looking forward to the bills in January, right? Um, now, I'm not saying any of those things that we think about are wrong, certainly. And, uh, but as those who know Jesus, I've got to ask this morning, how should we think differently about Christmas than those who don't know Jesus? Is there any difference in our approach as those who know Christ to our celebration of Christmas compared to those who do not. And as believers, we might attend or participate in special Christmas events or activities like Heritage Christmas, like Operation Christmas Child. Great things, great opportunities. Might be a live nativity. The church right up the road has one every year. And, and it might be that kind of thing. It might be the Christmas Eve service. 
that, that we have or that other churches have. But sometimes, if we're honest, there's not a lot of difference between the church and our culture when it comes to our understanding or celebration of Christmas. As we look around, uh, up and down our streets and all around in the malls and online and on TV and the advertisements and see all of what we see about Christmas, I don't think it would be too hard to conclude that Christmas is not a religious holiday. It's a cultural celebration. Think about it. If we remove Jesus from the Christmas equation, probably most people would still celebrate Christmas without missing a beat. Right? Many wouldn't even know Jesus was gone. Christmas would go right on as it usually does. I mean, even in our family and church Christmas traditions, probably more than we're willing to admit, we demonstrate a cultural Christmas mindset. Think about it this year. Christmas falls on a Sunday. Will your Christmas be any different because it's on a Sunday this year? Will your Sunday be different because it's Christmas. I think we need to think that through. And uh, for some, having Christmas Eve service, which is a great thing, is more important because it's such a traditional thing than gathering as the church on Christmas Sunday morning. You see, Christmas, about every five to six years, it just depends on the calendar, does happen on a Sunday. I've always thought it doesn't get any better than that. For Christmas to actually be on a Sunday, wow. It's like, wouldn't it be great, you know, we, we, to just have it that way all the time? And some would say, well, but it interferes with what we do as a family for Christmas. Wait, wait a minute, uh, Sunday gets in the way of Christmas? That sounds a little odd. And yet, when we talk about how do we view Christmas differently than those who may not know Jesus, we've got to be looking at some of those things. Came across this quote from a guy by the name of Andreas Kostenberger who wrote a book called The First Days of Jesus. And he said, if we're honest, we have to admit that we celebrate Christmas the way that we do primarily because of our cultural traditions, even though they have little, if any, real connection to Jesus' actual coming to this earth as a baby. That's interesting. And as we think about that this morning, we've got to say, what is Christmas all about? And I want you to think about this Christmas season as we're here on December 4th. How can you make the most of Christmas in your life, in your family, in your church? And wonder what Christmas is all about. So would you open your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. 
And uh, I would like to read for you um, verses 18 to 21. So if you would open your Bibles, Matthew chapter 1, if you don't have a Bible but would like a hard copy under the chair in front of you, close at hand should be a Bible. And on that Bible, page 675, Matthew chapter 1 and uh, uh, verse 18. And here's what we read. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Here's where it all begins. Here's where we discover, where we find out what Christmas is all about. Verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. And so as we dive in here, we're told that uh, um, Matthew is talking to primarily a Jewish audience. And the Gospels, as you read them, the first four books of the New Testament, each have a different emphasis Mark writes more to Gentiles. Luke has a broader Gentile audience. And then John is clearly talking to all of us. Now, we understand the Word of God is for all of us. When we say there's a Gentile or a Jewish emphasis flavor in the book of Matthew because he's writing primarily to Jews, it doesn't mean that that doesn't fit what we understand to be true because we know that the gospel is good and necessary and true for Jews and Gentiles. That's all of us, all right? And so as we look at this, we find out what did Matthew, we need to ask, what did Matthew intend his audience to know? What did he want them to know when he wrote Matthew, when he wrote chapter 1, when he wrote this verse, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. And as we move down through the text that I just read for you, well, I believe he wanted his audience and us to know this. Jesus is the Messiah, and he was born to save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Messiah, and he was born to save his people from their sins. So let's look at three parts of that purpose for which I think Matthew wrote about the Christmas story. Here it is. First of all, Jesus is the Messiah. That's what we see right there in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Now, some translations say the birth of Jesus Christ. And and the word Christ there is Messiah. That's what it means. It's the same word. It means the anointed one. And so when Matthew wrote Jesus the Messiah, Jesus Christ the Anointed One, the Jews that were reading this would have understood exactly what he was talking about. The Anointed One who is the prophesied and promised 
Messiah, the deliverer for Israel who came to save his people, provide deliverance for the Jews. That's what the genealogy in the first 17 verses of Matthew. If you were to go back and, and look at chapter 1 and ver the first 17 verses, there's a genealogy. Real exciting way to begin the Christmas story. But the reason Matthew put it there was because he wanted his Jewish audience and us as well to follow through, to understand that Jesus is the promised Messiah. That's what he was writing about. That's why he refers in verse 1 to Jesus, the, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Wow, I wish you could, for those of you who weren't, I wish you were here Friday and Saturday night for a piercing word because as, as they would say, their script is the scripture. They quoted scripture all night long and they took us back into the Old Testament and showed us Abraham and how Jesus came as the promised Messiah, the son of Abraham, and then how he became the son, that he was the son of David as well. And that's what Matthew is saying. It's the Jewish flavor, but it's the emphasis on the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. It's important that we understand he is our deliverer as well as that for the nation of Israel. Secondly, not only is Jesus the Messiah, but he was born. Look at again, verse 18. This is how the birth, the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Now, how did it come about? Well, verse 18 continues that Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. What does that mean? Some of your translations may have the word betrothed. That word means it's like think engagement, right? Think that's what we're talking about. Uh, uh, the engagement that happens before the wedding. Before a couple is married, they're typically they're engaged. Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. They were engaged, but this betrothal, this pledge to be married is stronger than our engagement period. It was a legally binding commitment for Jewish couples when they entered that stage of life. Legally binding. It was like marriage. In fact, it was so binding that it was only breakable by divorce. That's how set in, committed they were in this situation, pledged to be married. And uh, they were considered at that time husband and wife, but they did not live together, neither had they have or would they have sexual relations until the actual wedding day. That's the betrothal. That's the pledge to be married. That's what we're reading here. And that's why then, as we move on through the text, but before they came together, physically, sexually, all right, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Oh, boy. Pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, you say, what in the world? How does this happen? Well, that's what the angel who we'll see, we'll meet in a minute as he talks with Joseph. But in Luke chapter 1, and you can check it out later on in verses 34 and 35, and, uh, or if you want to look at it now, Luke 1, 34 and 35. And, and, and you are, should be aware that 
the Christmas story as we know it is found in Matthew, which we're reading, chapters 1 and 2, and then in Luke, chapters 1 and 2. That's where it is referred to. And in Luke chapter 1 and verses 34 and 35, when the angel appeared to Mary to announce what was going to happen and told her that she would give birth to Jesus, the Son of God, the angel's, and Mary's response to her was, well, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. I have not known a man. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, Jesus. So Mary was found with child, was pregnant by the power of the God, the power of the Holy Spirit. So, of course, when Joseph finds this out, and you remember she didn't just one day, all of a sudden, Joseph says, hey, you're pregnant. She'd been gone for about three months to visit her cousin Elizabeth. After she found out she was pregnant, in about three months, you would begin, she, the woman would begin to show, right? Typically. Now, that's one of those awkward things to say, you know, you, I learned a long time ago, you never walk up to a lady and say, are you pregnant, right? Uh, that's not a good thing, but, but it would have been showing at that point. And all of a sudden, she comes back from visiting Elizabeth and Zachariah, and Joseph is like, what? You're pregnant. And we read, Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. You see, Joseph followed the, the law, what God had given to them. He had to follow through. He was a righteous man, and it, we're told there that he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, but had to be faithful to the word of God at that point. And so he chose to divorce her quietly. Now understand that means Joseph did believe that Mary had been unfaithful. That's what he thought. You say, how do you know? Because that's why he says he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, humiliate her in front of everybody in town, but divorce her quietly. Why? Because he was a man of compassion. Because he was a man that cared about people. He was a righteous man who was faithful to the, the law. He followed God, but he didn't want to disgrace Mary, his wife, at that point. And divorce was required in the face of adultery. And that's why even though they're not yet married, but they are pledged to be married, and we said it was a legally binding thing, that's why he said, I've got to put her away. I've got to divorce her. In some cases, there was stoning. Mary could have been stoned. Didn't happen at this stage of time often anymore, but that had been, been what, how a, a, a woman caught in adultery would be treated. And so Joseph showed compassion. 
And as he was thinking about this, and, and I'm sure brokenhearted and not wanting to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now that's verse 20, Matthew 1. Don't be afraid to take her home as your wife, because this is all of God. Now, the angel had already told that to Mary, but what an unanticipated turn of events that had to have been for Joseph. And certainly Mary had already dealt with that for the about three months that she spent with Elizabeth. But this was the plan of God. This was God's plan for Christmas, that Jesus, God's son, the promised Messiah, would be born, born of a virgin by the Holy Spirit so that Jesus would be born without sin. That's the critical part of that. And, and as we understand, when Jesus was born, he became man, just like you and me. He did not become any less God that's when we use the word deity. We mean God and man. God becoming man. That's what happened. Jesus, God's son, also became man. You may remember, and if you'd like to look with it, at it, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 6, 7, and 8. That's a great text, a great section of passage. The, the, the Bible in, in that Philippians 2, 5 to 11, but I just want to look at Philippians 2, 6, 7, and 8, and this is what Paul said about Jesus, and he says, who, Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Human likeness. That's us. And being found in appearance as a man, he became obedient to the cross. Now you say, well, that's Easter. Yeah, but I was reading this in, in the group... Uh, that I'm involved in a couple of D groups. You've heard us talk about discipleship groups. We just read through Philippians. And I was reading through in preparation for this, and I came to that, and I don't know how many times I've read through that section in Philippians chapter 2, and I got to it a couple of weeks ago, and it was like, that's the Christmas story. There it is. Wow. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being found in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. That's Christmas. That's what it was. That's what happened here in Matthew chapter 1. And we may say, why? Why did that have to happen like that? Why did God choose to have it? And Matthew is communicating this to his Jewish audience, but he's communicating it to us as well. And we'll see that more in just a minute. But why was it important that Jesus was born and became man? The third emphasis, to save his people from their sins. 
Jesus is the Messiah. He was born to save their people, his people, from their sins. That's what we're told in verse 21 as the angel continued. says, Joseph, don't be afraid to take her home as your wife because this conception is by the Holy Spirit. And this is God's plan. She will, verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You see, the angel in Luke chapter 1, we already looked back there, we won't do it again, but you can go back to that passage, Luke chapter 1, and it's in verse 31. The angel told Mary the same thing. Not just that she was going to give birth to the Son of God, but that she was going to conceive and give birth to a son, and they would call him Jesus. Jesus. Salvation. God is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. And as we read that, the angel told Mary what he's telling Joseph, and he says, Joseph, you give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, the angel's mention of sins here in verse 21 would imply that there was a problem, right? That there was a sin problem. He will save his people from their sins. There was a problem of sin. That is a universal problem. We're told elsewhere, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 that we have all sinned. And as a result of that sin, we fall short of the glory of God. There's nothing that we can do to bring ourselves to the standard that God expects. We've all sinned. But he says three chapters later, Romans 6, 23, he says there that uh, the, the wages of sin, what we deserve, what we've earned, you earn wages. When you get a job, you get paid, you get wages. The wages of that sin that we have all committed is death. But here's the Christmas story again, Right? The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's it. It's everywhere. You can't miss the Christmas story. And as we're looking for it there, she will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The gift of God is eternal life. Jesus was born to forgive our sins. Now, he had to go to the cross. He died on the cross. He was buried, but he rose again from the dead, proving that he was who he said he was, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior for our sin. Jesus will save all who believe. He will forgive us when we believe. And that's what Christmas is all about. That's it. So we started with what Matthew wanted his first century audience to know about. As we wrap this all up, let me 
close with what Matthew wants you and I to know in 2022 from this same text. He wants us to know that Jesus is the Messiah and he was born to save us from our sins. That's the Christmas story. That's what Matthew wants us to know today in 2022. But he also wants us to know, us, you and I, that we need to do something about that. What should our response be? We know that Jesus is the Messiah. He was born to save us from our sins. So what? It requires a response, and I want to suggest two responses to the Christmas story. God intervened in history. The Christmas story is about, some would say interrupt, but that sounds like that wasn't the plan. It was all along God's plan to intervene, call it interrupt, whatever you want, but that's what we read. And when Jesus intervened in history to provide forgiveness of sin through Jesus, through the birth of the Son of God becoming man in the person of Jesus. Response number one, if you have never believed in Jesus, you need to allow him, Jesus, to intervene in your life to interrupt your life as it is today. And you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That is what the Bible tells us. That is what God wants us to know. That is the message of Christmas. And with all the celebrating that we do in so many different ways at Christmas time, we need to remember and we need to let people know that it's about Jesus dying or being born so he could die to forgive our sins. And we must believe. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus, you've never come into a relationship with God through faith in what Jesus did for us, you must believe the Christmas story. John 3, 16. For God so loved us, all of us, the world, that he gave his one and only son Jesus, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, would not die, would not be separated from God, but have eternal life, everlasting life, forgiveness of sin through faith in what Jesus did. Man, I tell you what, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, that could be the, this could be the greatest Christmas gift you ever got by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Response number two, if you know Jesus, if you have believed in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you must share what you believe. So what do we do with Christmas? So how is it different for those of us who know Jesus compared to those who don't? We share what we believe. 
we share the gift of salvation. We tell that Christmas is about Jesus and his birth to provide forgiveness of sin for us. How do we do that? Well, we talk about our outreach strategy, what we believe. PI squared, right? Which is pray, invest, invite, right? Are you praying for people who don't know Jesus? Specifically, not God save all the people who don't know Jesus. Not God save all my friends who don't know Jesus. Not God save all my family who doesn't know Jesus. We pray by name specifically for people that we know who do not know Jesus. We pray and we ask God to open their hearts. And as we are challenged at the men's retreat, we pray that, that God opens doors and then to individuals. He opens their hearts, those of the individuals specifically that we're praying for, and then we ask them to open our mouth that we will share the truth of the gospel, the Christmas story. We pray. We invest. We invest. We spend time. Wow, the, the whole Advent and, and, and Heritage Christmas, the piercing word ministry shared with us the, the, the whole principle of the Advent and how that Jesus came to provide hope. We live in a world that has many, for many, lost hope. Hopeless. Invest hope. Peace. We live in a world full of fear that people need peace. Joy. We invest love because God so loved the world. And we pray for faith and, and we teach people, we invest in the lives of people so they understand what it means to believe, to trust, to have faith. That's what we're talking about so that they can accept all of what Christ has told us in his word. And it's Christmas. What better opportunity to invite people into your home? What better opportunity to provide pe invite people out for a meal, for coffee, for whatever. What better opportunity for you to invite people to our services here at Heritage. An opportunity. People are really more open and sensitive at Christmas than most other times of the year, other than probably Easter as well. What an opportunity to invite people. You say, into, your, into my home? Well, it's Christmas. Well, again, we wouldn't want anything to get in the way. You see, that's the difference. Have we allowed our traditions and our cultural understanding of what Christmas is to get in the way of the truth about the birth of Jesus? Please don't leave here saying, man, he basically said, if you don't show up Christmas Sunday morning, something's wrong with you. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I just think I recognize that we all have family plans and traditions. It happens about every six years, folks. And what better way to teach your family, your kids, to celebrate together the birth of our Savior than to be gathered together as God's people on Christmas Sunday morning. Wow, I love it. 
I absolutely love it. It's just like, would you think of celebrating Easter on any other day of the week? We say, well, no, but he rose from the dead on Sunday. We don't know that he was born on Sunday. Well, I think there's some archaeological evidence. No, just kidding. I won't go there. It is true of Easter. But whatever day of the week Jesus was born, the fact of the matter is this year Christmas is on Sunday. Do not let that hinder your celebration of being with God's people, the church, together on Christmas Sunday morning. You say, well, I have unsaved family. What better way to say, well, it's different this year. And because we believe Jesus is at the very center and the heart of Christmas, then Christmas might be a little different this year because we're going to gather together as God's people and celebrate the birth of Christ. Wow. That's Christmas. Christmas is not about us. It's all about Jesus. Father, thank you that we can celebrate together the birth of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we can do that all year, but we certainly set aside this time together, these four weeks to, to remember the beauty and the joy and the peace, the hope, the love that was demonstrated by you, Father, to us in the birth of your Son, Jesus, to be the Messiah, our Savior, the forgiver of our sins for those of us who believe. God, I pray that this Christmas would be the most amazing, the most amazing celebration that we've ever experienced as we remember what Jesus came to this earth to accomplish in providing the forgiveness of sin. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.